Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, band. Sure appreciate you leading us out today. Uh, Seth Little is leading uh, worship for our sister church, the River Church, today. They're getting a little uh, Seth time. Our, but I'm so grateful that we have a, a band that just we have so many different ones that, that offer so generously and so well. And yeah, let's clap for them again. Um, thing I appreciate the most is their heart. It's not for man's approval. It's for God's heart. So welcome today to CFCF. I'm thrilled that you're here. It's a joy to be with you today. And um, I would say welcome home. I hope that you find this place to be that way. Uh, I want to give you an update, uh, and we're going to hear more along the way. I just wanted to let you know, uh, anybody remember Gigi's testimony? Uh, Gigi Marvin about uh, the uh, tryouts for the Olympics, the Winter Olympics. Well, Gigi and Anna, Annie, I'm sorry, Gigi and Annie made the Olympics. So raise your hands, girls. We're going to follow them. We're not going to make much of them, but we are going to believe. We want to kind of keep up with what's going on in the nations. Jesus is about the nations. And we got a couple of Olympians among us. It uh, doesn't make them more special, but there is a platform God wants to give all of us uh, to, to touch. And I believe God wants to use each and every one of you in your area of influence for his glory. It's not how significant your area of influence is. It's how significant your God is. And once he gets in through you, he's going to make your area, each and every one. But we'll be hearing updates and praying for these ladies and uh, be chanting USA uh, as we take home the gold in God and the gold in the natural. 2014. Hey, we're reaching the end of our series of the parables of Jesus. Anybody appreciate this? (laughs) Good. What are you going to say, right? No, Jeff, I don't. Uh, it's been a great time. We're, we're coming to the close. We've, we've spoken about eight weeks on these parables. And there's a few things, as we've observed the parables of Jesus, that we've kind of drawn out. And I want to give a little bit of that continuum. Uh, you may have heard me say it every week, but say it with me. One of the key reasons that Jesus told parables was in order to separate the devoted followers from the casual observers, right? Jesus desired uh, to um, separate out those whose hearts burned to know him, who wouldn't take uh, uh, confusion or or just kind of understanding uh, as enough. They said, Jesus, I must know. Those who approached Jesus, those who followed him, those who sought him, they found answers from Jesus and they became his devoted followers. You know what another name for a devoted follower is? A disciple, right? A devoted follower of Jesus. And once Jesus separated separated out these devoted followers from the casual observers, then what happened? Well, Jesus then illustrated the kingdom of God to those devoted followers. And he began showing them using very simple things such as a mustard seed, such as a treasure hidden in a field, such as, and so on. He used these simple illustrations so that they could understand what he was saying, right? Very simply, but not just so they can understand. See, Jesus wanted them to be able to transmit this, to share it with the next generation of devoted followers of disciples. 
So really, uh, what Jesus is trying to do through these parables is to teach us about his kingdom and how we live most effectively in his kingdom. But then he's wanting it to go through us very simply uh, to those around us. You don't have to have, praise God, a Ph.D., to be a devoted follower of Jesus, making disciples everywhere. You don't even have to have a master's. You don't have to have an undergrad. You don't have to have a high school degree. You have to have Jesus. <laughs> but that in Jesus, you are, you are equipped for every good thing. Today, we're going to be looking at the parable of the rich fool. And uh, as I was thinking about this parable, which we're going to read later, this illustration came to mind. Uh, the beautiful castle of Neuschwanstein. Uh, can you repeat that after me? Neuschwanstein? Give it a shot, right? Do we have that picture today or was that? I'll show that to you up here if we have it. No, we don't. Oh, okay. Well, we, we had it at one point. It, anyway, I'll just describe it to you. This castle is located in the Alps of the German state of Bavaria, right? Oompa Loompa. Bavaria. It's awesome. But anyway, this castle was built by the king of Bavaria in the mid to late 1800s, actually more the late 1800s. And um, this king uh, built this castle. His name was Ludwig II. And this king built this castle in order to be a respite for himself. He was a reclusive guy and uh, he, he wanted a, a beautiful place. So it's completely idyllic. I mean, the setting is like a postcard, right? Um, if you want to have some idea of what the castle looks like, the, the uh, I believe it was Cinderella Castle for Walt Disney. I think it's also the one where, you know, at the beginning of the Walt Disney thing, that castle with the spires comes out. That particular castle was built off of Neuschwanstein. It's the most famous, probably one of the most famous, if not most, castles in the entire world. Beautiful, unbelievable. Well, he, uh, this king, uh, Leop, uh, this king um, Ludwig, built this castle, and uh, he intended it again as a personal refuge for himself. He built a few others, but this was his prize. He wanted it as a refuge. So beautiful. Look it up sometime. But the castle was under construction for 16 years while he was alive. 16 years. And um, he died of strange circumstances out in the back of his property. And, um, but the point of the matter was, after 16 years, 60% of the rooms inside weren't even finished. Uh, and he only had the opportunity, King Ludwig II only had the opportunity to live in this castle for 172 days. That's less than six months, if I'm doing my math correctly. That is not very long in light of how young he was and how tragic his death was. Well, this, this castle um, was unbelievably beautiful. I, and I personally had the opportunity in 1996... To walk through this castle, to observe it. Uh, I was in Bavaria and it's unbelievable, the look of this thing. But I was thinking about this, how tragic it was that King Ludwig, it's, it, it is said that he spent most of his fortune and he did extensive borrowing in order to build this castle. And by the end of his life, his life was demanded of him. He died and he only was able to enjoy it for such a short time. 16 years, not even finished and he didn't even, wasn't even able to enjoy it. Now, here's, here's the thing I want to say. King Ludwig, Ludwig II was bestowed 
by God, I would say, (laughs) with money, with an abundance of money at one point. But the question is, did he invest his money wisely? You know, we've all uh, put time and money into different things. Uh, Some of us who are homeowners (laughs) or um, even renters have done extensive um, uh, work on our own homes. Maybe you've done a, uh, you've renovated your um, kitchen or you've, uh, you've done landscaping out in the backyard. And these things are fine to do. But um, the question we, we must ask ourselves in regard to finances and this kind of stuff is, is whether we're investing our money and time in that which we will truly be able to see and enjoy when the life on this earth is over. Ludwig never really got to see it. He didn't even get to see it finished. Got to see 40% of it finished. And it was a butte. But he didn't get to see it. The issue of wise investment, otherwise stated as what we are rich toward. Right? What we are rich toward. Wise investment is the issue that Jesus is illustrating in the parable we're going to look at today. The parable of the rich fool. Now, uh, turn with me today to the third book of the New Testament. This is Luke. And uh, again, I've said it, but I'll say it again for those uh, new here or those that are seekers. There are four books at the beginning of the second half of the Bible called the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these are called the Gospels. They tell the story of the life of Jesus. We're looking at the third one of these today in Luke. And we're going to look at chapter 12 and verses 16 through 21. I want to speak one moment before I read about a little bit about the setting that's going on here around Jesus. Earlier in this chapter of Luke, in this particular chapter 12, Jesus is teaching a huge crowd and it says they're trampling on one another. Can you trample out there? How do you? Right? Somehow? All right. They're trampling on one another. This is like a, it's a mob scene, right? It's like uh uh, you know, who's your favorite, who was your favorite rock band? You know, I mean, people going nuts, you know, people I've heard at different soccer events around the world and I'm sure it's happening in different places. People literally get trampled to death, right? It's a mob scene around Jesus right now. There are different things. You can just imagine what it looks like. Um, uh, it's like a rock concert, huge sporting event. It's a pretty intense scene. I said, but anyway, someone out in the crowd yells to Jesus in the midst of this. And he says, hey, Jesus. He's not really asking. He's asking, but he's kind of saying, hey, Jesus, you know, solve all my problems, Jesus. You know that kind of Jesus? (laughs) Jesus, solve all my problems. Make sure everything's perfect for me. Um, Well, anyway, he said, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Right? And Jesus, oh, Jesus, don't you love him? Mm. If you don't, I pray you do. I pray you love him more or you come to love him. Today, anyway, Jesus, instead of answering directly this, this guy, he gives this parable and, uh, he responds to this question with a parable. Let's look at it now in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21. And he, Jesus told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, 
and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. You see, Jesus is speaking to the man who approached him and saying, you're asking the wrong question of me. The real question is that you've got to understand the purpose of personal, financial, and uh, uh, material wealth before you start asking me for more of it. You need to understand it in order to know what to do with it. And so let's just look real quickly. I think you can see this. But the main character from this story is a rich man. Jesus uses this in a number of different places. We'll talk about one of those as well today. But it's, it's a rich man. And uh, what was it that he was given from God? Can you tell me? An abundant harvest. God gave him the goods, right? You know, I mean, it is similar to, you know, it's like his, um, his investment portfolio went through the roof, right? He hit everyone. It all went good. He had an abundant harvest. What did he do with this harvest, though, is my question. And our question today. He spent it on himself alone. And he stored it up for his own pleasure. And what was the consequence of this? His life was demanded of him, and he was called a fool. And we got to understand that. you got a rich man. He's given an abundant harvest. The devil doesn't give you an abundant harvest. He may allow <laughs> for that, um, and people have been destroyed by the love of money. But God gave him an abundant harvest. He spent it on himself for his own pleasure, himself alone. And he... As when his life was demanded of him, he was called a fool. Well, let's remember last week. You remember last week we talked about the parable of the Good Samaritan? And uh, the gist that we got out of that, I would hope, uh, one of the main takeaways from that parable is that loving God is to love your neighbor no matter who they are. Right? The Israelites had that thought. Hey, we love how we've kind of been given the law We take care of ourselves, you know, and the rest of the world, you know, God's going to deal with them in his grace. God ultimately intended Israel to be a light and a witness and change the world. But Israel had turned it in on themselves and become very small minded. So they had to be broken out of the thought that only other Jews were eligible for being called a neighbor. And Jesus, through the parable of the Good Samaritan, says, hey, your neighbor is whoever is in front of you. Whoever is 18 inches from you. And don't come to me later and say, uh, uh, I didn't see him. <laughs> you know, basically Jesus is saying this. Again, let's repeat this because we're going to go a little deeper today in this particular parable. That no, your neighbor, loving God is to love your neighbor. Right? You don't love God if you hate your neighbor. You don't love God if you care not for your neighbor. You love God by loving your neighbor no matter who they are, regardless of socioeconomics, regardless of if they're rich or if they're poor, regardless of if they're, um, you know, purple or if they're blue, regardless of anything in their past, they are your neighbor. Well, this goes a little bit more specific uh, in defining loving God by loving your neighbor. 
And this is really what we can pull out. One of the main things that, that we can pull out from this parable is to express our love to God is to be rich toward Him through being rich toward your neighbor. Be rich toward Him through being rich toward your neighbor. There's so much to that, but I will just be simple. The man in this parable missed the point. That's the point here. And this is the point for us. And you may feel like I'm the poorest one in the room, and you may be. But I believe God is going to bless you as you continue to stay before Him. And whatever you have, you're responsible for. You're not responsible for what someone else has. You're responsible for yourself. And to be a Christian, to be someone who follows Jesus, means that He blesses you as the original promise to Abraham in order that you are a blessing to others. You're never, uh, you're, you're never just to be blessed to bless yourself. So let's look at it this way. Um, the point that was missed by the rich man in this parable was this. The abundance that he was given from God was not merely to enrich himself, not to make himself more comfortable, right? But to empower him to love others by providing for their needs. That's what he was supposed to be doing with his abundant harvest. He's saying, what do I do with it? Bigger barns. Because I'm going to be more comfortable. And... Uh, and you may be saying, oh, is Jeff saying we should all sell our houses and live on the street? That's not what I'm saying whatsoever. But the point of the matter is that our lives, we must have an understanding that when God blesses us, and God blesses us, He's blessed us. It is always to provide for us. He wants to provide for you richly, to care for your needs. Man, He wants you to get uh, you know, a concrete shake from Shake and Shack sometimes. I mean, it's fine if you've ever been there at sh sh Shake and Bake. What's it called over there? Shake Shack. He wants you to have what he wants you to have, right? <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Well, anyway, it always has to do with ice cream, doesn't it? <clears throat> That's how he blesses me. He wants you to be blessed, but not merely to be blessed, but to be a blessing to other people. And so let's look here a little bit at this. Financial blessings are to be used in order to be rich toward God. God's already been rich toward us. But it's in order for us to be rich toward God. Why do we give locally to the local church, the tithe? You're being rich toward God. Who <laughs> gives you ministers who, who teach you and encourage you and challenge you. And you're taking care of their need. It, it is, and, and not just their need, but you're able to benevolence and care for so many more. Why is that a loving act? That's a loving act because you're providing for your brothers and your sisters who have been called to minister full time. But that's not the only way it stops. It goes way beyond that. It goes beyond the tithe to giving in so many different and various ways. Every act of God is love. You see, people give for a lot of reasons. God gives because he loves. He doesn't need us, but he wants to bless us. So being rich toward God and loving God in this context is providing for people while on earth. You know, Jesus tells another parable just a little bit later uh, in this book of Luke. It's chapter 18. We're not going to go into it. We're not going to give a full week to it, though we could. But I want to read this parable. I don't think we have it on the screen right now. But this is a profound illustration of what Jesus is talking about here. Being rich toward God through providing for our neighbor. If you have your Bible app or whatever else you want to look at, you can look up Luke chapter 16 
In verses 19 through 25, I'm going to read this. Jesus telling, I'm sorry, it's Luke 16, not 18. Jesus says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. He was dressed in velvet, you know, I don't know. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Now the point here wasn't, if you're rich, you're going to hell. And if you're poor, you're going to heaven. No. There is only one name under heaven by which men and women must be saved. And it's the name of Jesus one way or another. The point is not, you know, uh, is, is not, it, it's, uh, it is some type of, um, you know, thing to be modeled and example to be poor. No, that's not what he's talking about. What he is saying here is that the rich man... Missed the point again. Lazarus was his neighbor by his side. Lazarus wasn't his hanging out buddy. <laughs> I'm sure. You, can you only imagine that rich man had men and in, people in and out all the time? Those who could pay him back. Those who were rich enough to host him in his home. He might have walked by Lazarus a number of times. He might have thrown Lazarus a, a coin here or there. I have no idea. But he did not exhibit the heart of God. It's not a point of doing enough good to get into heaven. And we'll talk about that later. But the point is, the heart of God immediately impacts how you treat other people. And how you treat other people, Jesus says in this parable, is whether you provide for them through His grace and through His love. And you'd say, well, why... Um, and, and I could ask that question to, to a lot of us today, but I'm going to go directly here. Loving God and our neighbor is directly tied to your pocketbook. Sean has showed this, uh, uh, the, the former pastor here, Sean Richmond, um, pastor of the River Church, he, he showed this cartoon one time where the guy gets baptized, you know, and, he, and the, the preacher says, everything that goes under the water is the Lord's, you know, and he shows the guy's getting baptized and he's holding his wallet out of the water, you know. That's not how it goes when we're, when we give our lives to Jesus. When we give our lives to Jesus, the pocketbook goes under the water. Every aspect of it. And, uh, so loving God and our neighbor is directly tied to our pocketbook. How can we say, even James speaking in chapter two says, how can you say, be warm, well fed, and not care for the needs of your neighbor? Or not care for the needs of the poor? You see, it is wrong as believers in Jesus to fail, right? I'm sorry. It's not having nice things that is wrong, okay? So quit looking at someone else's car or thinking you're so great because your car is about to fall apart. It has nothing to do with that. What it has to do, what is wrong is as believers in Jesus to fail to grid our lives, to to, to grid our lives in a way such as to provide for others spiritual growth 
and material needs. Right? Why do we give to missions? Because spiritual growth. Because we know that you could save a, you could, you could heal every disease and see every bit of poverty eliminated. But if the issue of separation from God is not dealt with, there's an eternal destiny of separation from God and hell. Why do we give them? It's the most loving thing we can do, but it's finances that gets our people out there like John and Bloom Lux from North Africa sitting right there. I mean, come on. So it is, it is not wrong to have, and it's not wrong to not have, but what is wrong is not to grit our lives through providing for others spiritually and practically in their lives. I want to give an illustration, a powerful illustration of this attitude of being rich toward God was relayed to me by a dear friend. I don't know if any of you in here remembers, uh, I believe Mark Buckner might be one of the only ones. His name is Ben Loring. Oh yeah, Ron, he was your pastor. His name's Ben Loring. He and his wife, Ruth, planted the church in Antioch, of Antioch in Dallas, Texas. And uh, they went right downtown and uh, they planted this church among the homeless. Not, not only homeless, but they went right for it, I'm telling you. And uh, Ben um, came up one time a, a couple of years after he had, uh, they had started the church. So they started the church in Dallas what became Antioch Community Church in 2001. So it was about 2003 or something. He came up here to, to teach in our training school. And I'm talking with Ben. He's, he's, he's about 15, 20 years my elder. So giving you an idea of he and his wife, they're, they're in, um, he's in his late 60s now. But he, he was talking to me and he was sharing about their lives and their kids were out of school and they were, uh, they were ministering. I said, how's it going? He said, well, it's been incredible. We've been preaching the gospel. And he said, one thing he said just struck me. He said, yeah, um, you know, we have a really nice house. And I was in it. It's a very nice house, downtown Dallas. He said, one of the things that God's called us to do is we have washed probably over 600 loads of laundry for homeless people in our own, lawn, in our own washing machine and dried them in our dryer. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, I'm convicted. <clears throat> uh, but anyway, so he was sharing about... We, God's just really led us to minister to the homeless in Dallas. And I thought, wow, that's pretty incredible. And, but the next thing he told me was what really just kind of just did a number on me. I don't know what does the number on you, but this one, this one might, he said, you know, though, my wife, Ruth, she works so hard. I mean, she, uh, she was a professional woman. Um, and, uh, she was actually, I believe a psychiatrist, uh, she's passed away, but she, um, he said, I was really concerned about my wife because we have really nice stuff. I mean, we have nice stuff. We host people in our home all the time and all of this. And, and these grimy, excuse me, <laughs> these people are coming in and we love them, but they're sitting on our couch and our couch is going downhill fast. And I'm really concerned for my wife because I know that she's really taking care to pick out the things for, the, for our house. And I said, you know, one time Ben says this, Ben said that he spoke to his wife, Ruth. He said, Ruth, honey, how are you about our furniture specifically about that really nice couch? I know that, that we bought and she looked at him and she, he said, she said this, she said, is that couch going to heaven? And he said, no, she said, well, they can sit on that couch as much as they want. That to me is a woman and a man who knew and who understood what it meant 
to be generous to our neighbor through giving financially. They were not rich fools. You see, a year and a half ago, our precious friend, Ben's wife, Ruth, died of lung cancer. And Ben himself is in really failing health right now. God bless him. But Ruth, can you imagine the rich welcome she has in heaven and the amount of people that are going to be rejoicing with her for all eternity? She is this, she uh, <laughs> was a, a, a wise person, not a rich fool. And if we think this has nothing to do with us, we, we, we might want to think again. So the question is not whether or not you and I have a nice house, car, or something else, but are we living our lives and gridding our decisions and using God's financial blessing uh, to provide for others spiritual and physical needs? You say, well, I'll get to that later. I don't have anything right now, so I'll start providing. Well, J.D. Rockefeller said, uh, if I'd, I would have never tied my first million if I'd never tied my first paycheck of $1.25. You see, you start where you're at in learning a mentality that God's provided for me. It may be a nickel, but who can I do something for a nickel for? Who can I provide? And, and it, it gets to everything with how we grid our lives. If you get a nicer car, you get a bigger house. How is that providing for people's spiritual and physical needs? Your families, absolutely. But not just your family. It's there to provide for the needs of others. I want to say this to the seekers here in this room. And I trust that we have those in this room who do not have a relationship yet with Jesus. I want to say welcome. I love you. I'd love you to come to know Jesus. But I love you being here. If you're here today and you're a seeker, I have good news for you. God has already been really, really rich toward you. God the Father sent His one and only Son, Jesus. Jesus, God made flesh to die on the cross. Uh, uh, the cross was the electric chair of its day. A brutal form of death and punishment. But God the Father sent His one and only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross. To take the punishment that you and me and everyone of us in this room and every one of us in this world deserved. So that we could have new life. How do you get to heaven? How do you enter into a relationship with God? Is it through giving money to poor people? No. That's not how, as, as, as honorable as that is. It is through turning from your sin, admitting that you can do nothing to make yourself right with God, and receiving the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Then, when you receive the rich gift that God's given you in Jesus, then you go out and you walk in the richness. You see, what Jesus is saying here, I believe, is the way that we give and the way it hits our pocketbook is, a re is the real indicator of the Lordship of Christ in our own lives. I want to say this to those who are believers in Jesus in this room. Are you starting where you are now? Are you starting with what you have now or what you don't have now and beginning to grid your life through, hey, God's going to bless me and he wants to take care of me. And that may mean a nice car, nice house, whatever else. But God, I'm always gridding every decision through how I can provide for other spiritual needs by giving to, to the, all may hear and know about Jesus and, and by providing a safe place for different ones. And I want to honor our church. I want to honor the, the mothers and fathers and, um, and, and families and singles and Everywhere I see you doing this, providing for the sake 
of others. I just want to challenge us and stir us today to do it all the more. What would our city look like if each of us took responsibility and began providing for our neighbors in a sacrificial way? We just went nuts for Jesus and began loving people with all of our hearts and letting it hit our pocketbooks. And it's not called a pocketbook. You know, it's a wallet or, or a purse, whatever. I say pocketbook. But whatever you want to call it, that it would hit us in that way. The church of Jesus Christ, I want to say this and encourage us as we, as we respond today uh, to, with communion. And John's going to lead us in that. The church has the power today to break the power of greed over our city. If we will respond in a spirit of generosity and hilarity and giving and giving and giving again because Jesus is continually giving for us, the entire nature of our city will change. And I'm here for the long haul to see it change. I can't wait looking at you, looking at you in 20 years and saying, my, how God has changed our city. He's already changed it in 15 years, but it's, it's the quiet revival, but the revival is about to get loud. Let's remember this last thing. It's not wrong as believers to have possessions, just as the rich man was given an abundant harvest. What is wrong is to not grit our lives in such a way as to provide uh, for our family, as well as for the sake of others, spiritual and physical needs. Let's stand and let's respond to God.